All right, folks, back on the Boss Man Show here with Jared Dubin here, CBS NFL reporter. Also, he's about to date for the NBA stuff. Jared, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm great, man. Just trying to figure out why uh, Jerome Boger, an Atlanta native, a, <laughs> a Morehouse graduate, <laughs> screwed the Falcons on Sunday in Tampa with uh, Brady Jarrett just sacking the quarterback. Yeah, I saw that um, Perry Fuel, who's like the vice president of officiating now, came out this morning and was like, yeah, we think that was a good call. Um, the league basically will just never admit a mistake with these kind of things. Like a few years ago with all the pass interference stuff, they wouldn't admit a mistake with that. Then they came out the next year and were like, we're going to make pass interference reviewable. But every time we review it, we're going to like purposely make the wrong decision so that nobody wants this anymore. I feel like they're going to do the same thing with roughing the passer next year. No doubt, Jared. And, you know, since Al Riveron's gone now, who's Ashley over replay now? Um, I don't know who's in charge of replay, actually. Um, I know Perry Fuel is, like, the vice president of officiating, but uh, I'm not actually sure who's, like, in charge of replay on game days. Yeah, because I, I know that was like, – I, I always knew it was, it was Blandino, it was Al Riveron, and now it's like, who is the guy? You know what I miss, Jerry, is when – we had Mike Pereira, but then yeah. but they were putting out videos saying this was a good call, it was a bad call. But like you said, it's like the league office now is like, we're not doing anything. No. Doesn't, no. I think not, they still do those on occasion, um, but this one was like a memo sent to the teams, I think, which I don't know. Like, they just need to have someone on game days that's like in the booth or in the league office or wherever that very quickly says, like, no, that penalty is wrong. Yes. Because <laughs> let's be honest, Jared, with gambling being involved now, you, you need to have these calls correct. People's yeah, money I mean, on the line right is like, You know, you're going to get calls wrong every once in a while. But when it's like, when it's something that is just like made up, like, uh, I don't know. It's like, oh, well, I thought this was a hold, but it turns out that he let go quick enough for it not to be a hold. Like, Whatever that happens um, with stuff like this, where it's like a roughing the passer that is just a phantom call, or you know, a, a pass interference where dudes feet get tangled. Like, I don't know. It's it seems like it should be easier than the league makes it. No doubt. It, I told this many fans who are fans of the Falcons. This is Jared. I'm not saying the Falcons win the game and score. We just give them a chance. You know, if you look at the play before, there should have been a pass interference, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. So it's like I don't like to zero in on one call and say, you know, this team wins or this team gets a chance. Like, for the most part, calls come out in the wash team-wise, even within the context of a specific game. But also, you can't get calls that obvious, that egregiously wrong. Like, they shouldn't have missed a pass interference on the previous play, and they shouldn't have called rubbing the passer on that play. Like, both of those calls – need to be gotten correct. Um, like, I kind of view the refs, from my perspective, as like an act of God. Like, the refs are going to get calls wrong at some no point. Doubt. Some of them are going to go against your team. Some of them are going to go for your team. Everybody thinks their team gets the worst of it. Everybody's wrong because every team gets screwed at some point. Um, but, like, some calls are, are so bad and so obvious and seemingly at such a turning point in the game, like – it's, it's just as likely that a call in the first quarter could change the game 
as a call in the fourth quarter, but obviously everybody notices the ones at the end more. But I, I think that's just even more reason to, to figure out some way to get this stuff right. And Boger did it against Allen, Josh Allen, in Baltimore the week, the week prior. You know, that call. So yeah. Boger is roughing the past kind of a guy. So we need to have him, hey, Jerome, this is what it is what it is, you know? <laughs> At a certain point also, like, Jerome Boger's been repping games for, like, as long as I can remember, you know? Like, so, so many of these guys have been around forever. Like, I feel like you need some, uh, some younger officials out there that can, you know, do the job a little bit better. But also then sometimes you get some of these young guys and it's like they're not experienced enough and they don't, you know, know the rules as well or miss some things or think they see some things. Like it's it's hard to find a balance, um, but it's it's not a good situation, obviously. No, that is about the Falcons roster. You know, the Falcons are two and three. Marcus, Marcus, Marcus Mariota is, is, is dating is doing what he can, but uh, Falcons, you know, is rebuilding. We know that we trade Deion Jones away to the, to the Browns seven round pick, get off a salary, dead cap next year. So what are the thoughts of the Falcons roster being two and three so far this year in his rebuilding year and what you've seen so far from the Atlanta Falcons? I think they're more competitive in a game-to-game situation than I probably expected. Like Arthur Smith knows what he's doing in terms of like creating efficient offense. I think that some of the ways that they're handling um, snap rates for key players, like Kyle Pitts was playing like 60-something percent of the snaps in a couple of games last week, Drake London was like 65% of the routes or whatever, like just have these guys out there on every play. The design of the offense is really good and gets more out of the talent than I think you would expect, especially considering the offensive line is, you know, no great shakes right now. It doesn't seem like they have that many foundational players yet. Obviously it's a roster that's not necessarily in good shape and it's going to take a while to build. In the meantime, being able to get more out of the talent on hand than you should is is pretty good because it gives you a sign that when you do have talent, you should be able to play well, but also it's not as good because like you want a higher draft pick. Um, I, I don't think Mariota's playing particularly well throwing the ball, especially these last couple of weeks. He's doing a good job for the most part of avoiding sacks and scrambling. You know, he's, he holds on to the ball a little bit too long. Um, he's not necessarily going to create explosive plays on his own. They got to be schemed up for him. And so I feel like we have to see Desmond Ritter sooner or later because the Falcons are going to have to make a decision whether or not to draft a quarterback this year. But, you know, in the meantime, like, I, I didn't necessarily think we should have seen Ritter in uh, in last week's game because, like, the offensive line was getting kind of overwhelmed. He wasn't really going to be put in position to succeed with no Kyle Pitts out there. But at a certain point, um, I'm not sure when their bye week is, but I would try to get him in there because you want to be able to get a clean evaluation by the end of the year. And to me, that probably means he should be starting or at least getting a bunch of snaps sometime soon because I don't think Mariota's taking him to the playoffs, taking him anywhere special. But, I mean, I'm not overly concerned about, you know, this regime yet um, because they just don't have the talent really to compete at a high level. Yeah, and they were really hamstrung by the cap. And bad contracts. I think last one was Deion Jones get rid of. Mm-hmm. I think they they have a lot of caps with issues. I I told some of the guys this that's how I feel like. Look, if you're a Falcon player this year, this is your chance to prove yourself to be worthy to be on this team next year. This is an open trial for you this year. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, you know, obviously the Matt Ryan uh, dead cap hit is pretty big this year, the Deion Jones hit, but starting next year, you get a little bit more uh, flexibility to build things out. Maybe you can, you know, move off with some other veterans that you don't necessarily want to keep around. Um, but, you know, the foundation of the team for the future is going to be, you know, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, uh, AJ Terrell, you know, and you got to find out if some of your other draft picks from these last two years can be foundational pieces or if they're rotation pieces or if they're going to be guys that need to stick around at all. And then you want to go back to, you know, the previous couple of drafts, the guys that are still on their rookie contracts and see which of those guys, you know, you're going to want to give extensions, which of those guys you're going to want to move off of. That's sort of the phase that they're in right now. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like every team goes in cycles, like two, three years from now is the time that you want to be really competitive and start being like, okay, we're going to be, a consistent playoff team from here on out. And if it doesn't look like that's going to be the case, that's when you have to start thinking about, like, all right, what are we doing here? No doubt. I, as some of the fans here tell me when you need a receiver, I'm like, we'll have one next year in Ridley. That's, how, that's another receiver we're going to get. It's like, mm-hmm. add, it's like add this raging and count really next year. Like, why are you all complaining about Zacchaeus and Edwards and, and, and Hodge? Like, look, next year we'll have Ridley to go with London and Pitts in the middle. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it's a good point. Obviously, you do need more than, like, two wide receivers to play. Um, Arthur Smith is going to be a guy that uses more, um, like, two tight end and three tight end sets. So maybe not necessarily uh, on his kind of team. You need four or five receivers. But we don't know what Ridley's going to look like when he comes back next year. At that point, he's going to have not played for uh, a year and a half. Obviously, he's a really, really good player when he's on the field. And if he can recapture that, that's really good. But... I don't think you should necessarily bank on like we've got 2020 Calvin Ridley out there along with Pitts and Drake London, Like you do need to add something else to that mix to uh, just to make sure that you've covered all your bases. I think. No doubt. And I, I do feel like they should spend money on the old line and fragrancy. I don't know who's available, but you gotta, you gotta get the trenches taken care of too. So I, and that's yeah, been the problem in Atlanta for a long time. Whoever the quarterback is going to be, like, it's important to have not just you know the scheme and the play calling, and you know a couple of high level pieces at important positions. Like, you got to build out the entire infrastructure. The interior of the offensive line, I think, is probably going to need to be built out a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I think Jake Matthews is a pretty good left tackle, but also um, at this point, he may not necessarily align with the timeline of the foundational pieces of the team. Not that he's old, but, you know, he could be in his 30s by the time they're really good. Um, So maybe that's something you have to consider, you know, a succession plan in the future, a couple of years down the line. But, I mean, it's going to take work. It's it's not a particularly good roster. Like you said, they have some cap issues, but, you know, they've got their draft picks going forward. Maybe they could get, you know, a couple more in there. If they decide some of the you know more veteran guys aren't going to be part of the next really good Falcons team, like I'm not concerned yet. Like this was always going to be a couple of year process to change the roster over. No doubt, and I know Arthur Smith bristles against the word tanking or losing games, but you know business wise, it might be best to do so. I know he doesn't want to do it, but I feel like you should want the highest draft pick possible when you're a team like Atlanta, but. I don't know why he wants to win games with record, of course, and the team morale. But mm-hmm. business-wise, I would tank, per se. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to set yourself up to get, you know, like C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever ends up being the, the top quarterback this year. Um, I know that, you know, different people got different opinions. I don't. I tend to not watch these guys until the couple months before the draft um, just because I don't have the bandwidth for that yet. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think they're going to be in pretty decent position. I don't, I don't think they're going to have, like, the 17th pick in the draft or whatever where they're, like, in the playoff conversation until the end of the season. I think it's more likely to be, you know, like around – six to 10 range, six to 12 range, whatever it is, just seems like the, the quality of the roster is not high enough for them to be picking lower than that. And that's, it's not the best position to be in. You want to be at like number one or number two, if you're going to get a quarterback, but also, you know, there's some other guys out there or maybe you could try to move up or, you know, we'll see what happens, but I feel okay about what they've been doing so far. Like they've landed, I think in the last three drafts, three like high quality players in the first round that are going to be foundational players for them. So that's a good sign. Just with the NFC South to be so down with Carolina being this bad, of course, firing Matt rule this week, uh, the saints, uh, two and three as well. You expect the South to be down the way it is with three teams, with two, two teams, two and three and the Panthers one and four and the bucks kind of not playing as well as they could either. Yeah. I mean, I was not nearly as high as other people on the Saints this year. Um, I just didn't see it with Sean Payton leaving and with James Winston being the quarterback and that defense getting a little bit older. So I'm not necessarily surprised that it looks like the Bucs and then everyone else again. I'm somewhat surprised that the Bucs haven't been that good yet, but I think you can attribute almost all of that to their injuries in the first few weeks of the season. I think we've seen the last two weeks that they're going to look much better when they have, you know, like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, all these guys back on the field. Yeah, Julio Jones is back to, you know, being injured, not <laughs> practicing. Thing, man. Like, I just want to see that dude play again. Like, he's so good, but just can't stay out there. No doubt, man. So, so let me ask you this. Uh, did, did, yeah, we're going to NFL a little bit here with the Eagles. Did you see this 5 and 0 star coming for the Eagles? Did you see – and you think that hurts their quarterback of the future now, in your opinion? Um, I mean, I didn't see 5-0 and necessarily. Um, they got, I think, the second or third best point differential in the league, too. So, you know, it backs up them being one of the top teams in the league. I had them winning the NFC East, like a lot of other people did. I thought they were going to be better than the Cowboys, like a lot of other people did. Um, some of 5-0, and like, you're not going to win every close game. So, you know, they, they could be four and one, they could be three and two. That that wouldn't change, you know, how good of, they are as a team. Um, I think certainly the way Hurts has played this year, he looks like he's going to be their quarterback for quite some time. Um, and I think that they've done a really good job of what I, you know, what I said the Falcons need to do in terms of building the infrastructure. Like they made sure that there was going to be no doubt in their evaluation of Jalen Hurts this year because they gave him a really good offensive line they gave him two really good wide receivers and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, who they went out and got these last couple of years. They, they have a really good tight end in Dallas Goddard. They have a good scheme. They have a good running game. Like, whatever happened this year, they were going to know whether Jalen Hurts was good or not. And you need to be in that position when you're evaluating a young quarterback. And I think they've done a really good job of that. And I'm shocked you're Ron Rivera threw cross once on the bus. <laughs> that was shot quarterback. Like, yeah, that was uh, I mean, I'm not surprised that Carson Wentz has played poorly enough 
that he's in position to be thrown under the bus. But I do expect sometimes Ron Rivera is a little more um, democratic, I guess, than that, or diplomatic, sorry, than that, usually. Um, so I was surprised to see that too. Yeah, and I'm like, Ron, your defense is trash. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that defense, I thought it was going to be really good last year. And then they came out in probably the most disappointing individual unit in the league. Um, them were the Ravens defense, but that was more explainable by injuries. Um, you know, Chase Young still is not back, but they've got some other players there. Like Montez Sweat is good. Cam Curl is good. Jonathan Allen is really good. Like they've got some players. They should not be this bad on defense. And, um, but like, I don't know, Jack Del Rio is still their defensive coordinator. That guy hasn't been coaching good defense in like 10 years. So I don't know. No doubt. No doubt. And then looking at the, NFC North, like the Vikings, are somehow four and one. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> it's like, like, like they played like crap and got lucky, you know. But it's like, really, you know, the Vikings. I, I get Aaron Rodgers and the Packers struggling right now. Should have lost to the Giants, but the Giants is coaching. Hey, Brian Dayball is. This is just showing what we have a good coach. Mm-hmm. What coaching can do for a team. Coaching oh, yeah, sure. got them four and one. Like, Not talent. It's a class in coaching to your personnel. Like he comes from the Bills. Um, their offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, comes from the Chiefs. And this offense doesn't really look like either of those offenses because they don't have the quarterback to do that. They're running an offense that suits Daniel Jones. He's running the ball all the time. It's play action on like 40 something percent of the dropbacks. Saquon is like the most heavily involved player, obviously, in the offense. Like do I think they're a four and one quality team? No, obviously not. I'm pretty sure that they still have like a negative point differential. Or something like, that. like they're not, they, they can't keep playing one score games all year and going four and one. Like that's just not going to happen. But being able to get better results than your talent level is a sign of good coaching. Yeah, 100%. Masterclass and coaching, you know, and I'm seeing like, I never thought this, Jared, I will see. Geno Smith was actually playing better than Russell Wilson in Denver. Did they, did they actually make they, the right call? May have been keeping Geno Smith over Russell Wilson. I, I can't believe it either. The, the Broncos are a mess, man. But I would much rather talk about what Geno Smith is doing. Like some of it is somewhat unsustainable touchdown rates. Like he's throwing like seven, eight percent of his passes as touchdowns, which just can't keep up. And they're like not running all that many plays per game. Um, you know, their defense can't get off the field, so they have to keep scoring all these points. You know, who knows what the running game will look like now without Rashad Penny there, but he's playing at a really high level, man. It's not like it's not like he's getting lucky. He's making really good throws every week. Um, good for him. It reminds me, I guess, a lot of like Ryan Tannehill in, in Tennessee, where he was a guy who, you know, wasn't particularly good as a starter, got relegated to a backup. Like they brought him in for basically nothing. And then all of a sudden everything comes together in this one year when he's like 30 years old. And if he can keep it up, like he's going to get a contract, you know, like maybe not playing like, I think he's like third in EPA per play or something like that. I don't think he's going to keep that up. But if he's, you know, 10th to 15th in the league, like that's a good quarterback. No doubt. Cause we've seen some bad quarterback in already in this league already. And I will say this. Matt Ryan looks like he got old and slower overnight. In, in yeah, um, the line ain't good either. Old. But let's look at older and slower too. 
Last year, I wasn't sure how much of his like big step backward was him not being able to either move or really get the ball downfield. How much of it was just the situation and you know the the conservative nature of the offense for a lot of last year. Um, it, it looks like it was probably a combination of both. Um, he just he doesn't look good. Um, but that offensive line in, in Indianapolis has been really disappointing, not playing as well as it has over the last few years. Like even Quentin Nelson hasn't been quite as good this year as he has for you know the significant majority of his career. The, the left tackle situation is a major issue. Um, they've had their receivers out a couple of times, but he he just looks cooked. Yeah, and uh, uh, and Mike Tomlin's gonna go as far as lose season, in my opinion. He's depending on Matt Canada, who wasn't good in college as a coordinator. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know the other line there is terrible too, but you gotta like we talk about day ball scheme to what you have, quick passes to be, that answer your running game, you know. But Matt Canada's doing what Matt Canada does, everywhere he goes, just not being productive. Yeah. Uh, just keep running like three jet motions per snap. That'll work eventually. <laughs> exactly. Like, what are we doing, Mike Tom? Get rid of this guy. So, you know, and Brissett came down here to Atlanta, you know, and, you know, blew it. You know, like Brissett, like, he plays well for about most of the game, but he makes about a two of the dumb mistakes. Like, he could have ran that ball in for a touchdown. He oh, is like a backup quarterback. Like if if you need somebody to fill in for a game or two, you feel really good about him. If you need somebody to start long term, you don't feel that good about him. He proves it to us every freaking week, every week. I got and every time he's been in too, you know, in New England, in Miami, in Indianapolis. Like we've seen the same thing. Like if you need somebody to like hold you steady for a couple games, fine. But if you need him to start for a long period of time, it's probably not going to work out that well. No doubt. I got a couple for you, brother. Uh, Brandon Saylor, that call on fourth down and one. I think he's going to get himself fired doing this stuff. <laughs> Eventually. I would say like it's somewhat more understandable because their defense hadn't looked all that good, particularly in the second half. They had let Cleveland, um, you know, marched down a couple of times. And it's a situation where, like, I feel like it was it was close to, close to the fourth and two than fourth and one. So the models maybe didn't necessarily know that and recommending as strongly that they go for it. But in a situation where, like, if you convert, the game is over, it's a little bit more understandable than, like, a situation where if you convert, but you still need to do more to, to, to win the game. My thing is... They call the same thing every time on these fourth and one or twos. Like it's stick to one side and a slant on the other. And it's like you're throwing like a hitch route or a quick out or a quick slant against the opposing team's best corner every time. And the other teams know that. Like call literally anything else and I get it. But if they're going to keep calling the same thing and defenses know it's coming, you're dropping the odds of conversion from whatever you think they are to something much less. No doubt. No doubt. It, it, it's it's so funny, you know, seeing them seeing them do this, do do this stuff right here. And the head I have on last one got the Raiders head I have on today to catch my nice black um, you know, just um pullover coat today. <laughs> Talk about that man, McDaniel's thing, man. So uh 
one, uh, going for two, could have rather than tying the game up. This whole Joshua Daniels and Oakland experience, well, not Las Vegas experience so far right now. Yeah, um, so I've heard it explained sort of two ways. The first is um, that, you know, obviously you get the lead. Um, so, you know, basically, if you don't think you're the better team, then trying to make sure that the game ends in regulation, no matter what, might be an optimal strategy, which I kind of understand. Like the Raiders clearly were not the better team in that game. So going for two and taking a lead and being like, well, let's try to play some defense. And if Kansas City gets super aggressive and goes down and scores, then you know maybe we'll get the ball back for one more shot, which is kind of what happened to them, even though they, they didn't convert. So from that sense, I understand it. But if it was like, if you're going to do that, you do that with 27 seconds left, not four minutes and 27 seconds left. There's just way too much time for Mahomes to go down the field to score, even if you do take the lead. I do understand wanting to avoid overtime against that team though, when you are not the better team. Um, I just think it's it's much more of an optimal strategy with less time on the clock. No doubt. Well, Jared, thank you for your time. We've been just getting down the road, but it was fun to talk football with you, my guy. Uh, Checking my CBS uh, NFL writer, Jared Dubin, the Boss Man Show. Be safe, bro. Talk to you soon, man. Thanks for having me, man. Have a good one. Anytime, brother.